0: Welcome to Bubbles and Books, a podcast about two of the best things in life. Books and champagne, brought to you by Amanda and Ellen, co-owners of your local independent bookstore, dog Books in Ames, Iowa. First, give me a cheers. Okay, we're ready? And yeah. books are sexy. It's Bubbles
1: and Books, guys. I'm getting the bubbles. Books and bubbles. Ooh. Yeehaw. Hmm vanilla scent of vanilla love the sound
0: of a cork popping at 8 49 a.m
1: right (laughs) we're we need the bubbles to to get us going yeah um i mean it's 5 17 in the afternoon no we are all about honesty here at bubbles and bugs this is transparent totally transparent just like the bubbles that we're pouring yeah that was eloquent thank you thank you mariah We have um, two special guests. Ellen and I are here today. We're not
0: the special guests. We're not.
1: We're just your usual losing, losers, (laughs) babes. And um, we are joined by two of our booksellers who have been guests on the show before, who are quite exceptional in their investment in the various things we do at this store, um very specific are you having champagne? No. Okay. Come on, Mariah. You might have to fire Mariah.
0: Just saying. Oh, well. Mariah's not partaking in her professional drinking duties.
1: <laughs> what is it called? Um
2: being my mother's disappointment?
1: No. Um when you make pledges, do things. Oh, the, our hazing isn't working. <laughs> <laughs> Is it hazing if she's been here for like two years? <laughs> I mean, I guess she survived the her pledge year. Um, mm. Anyway, they're joining us because it's a new year and they're up to new stuff. But we're going to start with new books. What are we reading right now? Ellen, what are you
0: reading? Oh, my God. You have to start with me. You want me to start? I'll I'll start. I'm reading *The Bullet Swallower* by Ooh. Elizabeth James Gonzalez, or sorry, Elizabeth Gonzalez James. It's sort of this like very um, funny uh, western story, and it is you love a-, a western kind. Yes, I do love a western, and it follows um, the Sonora family, and it's got. Kind of two different timelines. One is Antonio in um, 1895, and he's like a bandit, okay? And his family, Antonio Sonoro, they come from gold miners, but the family history is like horrible. Like the Sonoros were horrible fucking people and they squandered all their wealth. And now they're like impoverished losers and not that being impoverished makes you a loser, but they are impoverished and also losers. And Antonio is, is an outlaw. He's a bandit. And so um, he rides around and they live sort of Northern Mexico near Texas. And he, um, gets this idea. He hears that there's this train full of Mexican treasures that mm-hmm. is that goes from um, more southern parts of Mexico um, up to uh, Houston. And he decides he's going to go rob this train. Isn't this part of like actual <clears throat> historical lore? Probably. Train, I don't know. Because it has appeared in other books. Maybe. Yes. Okay. And so he's he's going to go do this. So this is this is one part of the story, mm-hmm. right? And then like all the things of the fallout of this. Okay. Um, and he also in in the process of doing this gets shot in the face and Ooh. manages to survive. Hence he He's he a earns the nickname the bullet swallower. Um, and then the other timeline is uh his descendant, and it is 1960s, Jaime Sonoro, who is a film star in like musical cowboy movies (sighs) in Mexico. And he's famous. He's one of the highest paid actors in the country. And um, he lives with his aging father and his wife and his three children. And one day this woman shows up with this like rotting book that's like a thousand pages long. And it is the history of the Sonora family going back to Cain and Abel. So they suggest oh. <laughs> that the Sonoros have started. It's very, very awful start of the Sonora family. Okay, and so uh, he's reading about the history of the family, right? So then these these stories will merge because Antonio is Jaime's, like I think, great great grandfather or grandfather. grandfather. And um, there's also this element of magical realism because Antonio's grandfather uh and what was his name antonio
2: it's one one antonio no wait You're that's his dad
0: oh, antonio something what are you yeah. the guy in the first part oh. anyway wait are you talking about the like the one who squandered all the gold oh, who I buried the indians name. anyway antonio's grandfather the one who ultimately like squandered the wealth of the Sonoro family by killing a bunch of indigenous people and burying them in a mine um when he was an infant the devil came to reap his soul to hell and the devil is goes by the name of remedio in this book and when this member of the Sonoro family was an infant the devil was like you know what I don't want to take him I'm going to give him a chance. So the Sonoro family has this debt to pay. And Remedio, the devil, or the spirit of the devil, has followed the Sonoros all through the years because they owe a debt. Like somebody needs to be reaped to Uh hell. And so Remedio keeps showing up in all these iterations of the Sonoro family. So now we have Antonio, the outlaw bandit, who's like trying to rob this train and up to all these antics and swallows a bullet. And then you've got Jaime, you know, 70 years later, who is discovering the family history and has a house guest who's the devil. Okay. And it's so fun. Okay, Anyway, that's what I'm reading. I don't know if that made any sense at all, but it's, it's enjoyable. It
1: sounds like a really good story. Yeah. I love it. It's
0: wonderful storytelling. What are you reading? Well,
1: <laughs> I'm reading the book I've been very much looking forward to for a very long time. It is They sophomore novel from Claire Lombardo same as it ever was I have the advanced reader copy for her June publication fingers crossed we'll be doing an event with her this is an auto buy sign yourself up now what I love about the premise of this novel is that the character the the primary character, our uh, protagonist, her name is Julia Ames. I feel like <laughs> it's just like a little shout out because Claire lives in Iowa City. And when you get to know her just a little bit, as we've had the privilege of doing, you can see the threads of connection to things in her life um, that show up in her books. So I'm hoping that's a little shout out to Ames, Iowa over here. But her dog, Oh, her her <laughs> little black dog makes an appearance in the book and her love for that dog is so evident within like the first chapter. There's a little dog named Suzanne. But Julia Ames is a woman in her upper 50s uh, preparing for the celebration of her longtime husband's 60th birthday. You can tell she's mostly happily married, um, but, you know, caught up in the mundane routines of. The life they've built together over the decades, she runs into someone, a woman, that almost twenty years earlier, had been part of what you are is hinted at was a very turbulent time in Julia's life. She was a young mother of a three year old boy, Ben, and very lost and very unhappy. And we know that Julia's involvement with this woman, whatever comes of it, nearly broke apart Julia's family and the life that she managed to hold on to here 20 years later with a grown son and a teenage daughter. I love the way Claire writes feelings about motherhood and families and marriages and identity and getting lost. And especially the very astute way she writes about relationships with prickly teenage children. She's very talented at writing about our love for our children, but also the challenges those children set forth for us. So I am just two chapters in and savoring it. I'm very much looking forward to getting the full experience. So I love it. I can't wait to read it. I know. I'm so excited. Thank you, Claire.
0: This morning I had to <clears throat> convince my daughter to hug her father goodbye. I said, yeah. hug your father. He loves you dearly. And she rolled her eyes and he said, it's true. I love you as if you were a dear. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are cute. All
1: right. Special guests. What are you reading? Mariah. What? Sorry. How many I was... books are you reading, Mariah? Right? <laughs> yeah, tell us I was stretching
2: right when you asked that question. Um, I'm going to talk about three. <laughs> Okay. As you do, one of which I am not reading. Uh, I finished reading.
1: Okay, you're still in a book hangover. (sighs) Yes,
2: Um, but before I get to that, uh, I have an uncle whose dog was a bullet swallower, uh, and she survived. She's still alive. Oh my god! Uh, But that's like one of my best stories. So I'll tell you sometime. but what I am reading or rather finished reading, it's called the ministry of time by Kaylee and Bradley. This is
1: all you're going to hear about forever (laughs) from Mariah. When she gets on a book,
2: Um, I was 20% of the way into this when I announced to everyone that I think this is tied for my favorite book of all time. Yeah. Um, I have since finished it and still assert that to be true. Uh, So the premise of this, uh, Brilliant gift to humanity is um, described as like workplace romance meets time travel meets spy thriller. Um, Jeff O'Neill of the Book Riot podcast called it highbrow goofiness, which is totally right. So our main character is an unnamed um, Cambodian British woman who is acting as a bridge for this guy named. Graham Gore, who was yoinked from the Franklin Expedition in 1837 and is now supposed to teach this time traveler how to live in the 21st century. Um, And of course, when you put two people in a house together. uh, Force
1: proximity. Force proximity. She's gonna boink the yoinked
2: um and also maybe the government isn't telling its employees the truth about things um the writing is like so exceptional and not only does it explore this really like loaded and interesting romance but also what it means to be a refugee um because the main character's mother is a cambodian refugee Um, and of course, Commander Gore is a refugee now of time, but also was a commander in the Royal Navy of what was at the time he existed, was the country that controlled a quarter of the world's entire population. And so him being placed with this woman whose family are the direct, um, beneficiaries of that historical violence like how does that work Mm. out and it's just so smart and so emotive and like if i think about it too much i will start weeping again um there's a really
1: great cast of characters there's very um like beloved characters yes um everyone just shoots straight i kind of love like how each character really owns themselves yes and there are fun twists in the mystery, yes, that you didn't see coming. It
2: explores queerness, like mm-hmm. historical queerness, and like what that means. And every note is just hit so well. It made me want to simultaneously blare like hopelessly devoted to you,
1: wow, and
2: also crack open my old like Franz Fanon and Lit Theory <laughs> textbooks. Like it was so good. Um, so that is all you will hear me speak about for the next. Seven years um,
1: That's
0: a commitment It's it, like a it, curse <laughs> Yeah.
2: Yes. Um, it comes out on May 7th So
0: you cannot read it right now If you come into the store after May 7th And you see Mariah She will try to sell Yes, We but will certainly. have
1: a stack of books yeah. At least as
0: tall as Mariah And Mariah is tall And we're going to challenge Mariah How quickly can you sell this stack Kaylan if you're, you're listening planes. I
2: love you yeah. if, if you were in a burning building with my husband I would probably save you first I'm just saying <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) um so then the other books that i'm reading which obviously it's a hard act to follow being the book that i read after that book um so i'm reading the quickening by oh gosh i should have looked up her name the last name is rush i think it's like kate rush um but it is about this expedition of people going to um antarctica To Elizabeth Rush, excuse me, is her name, uh, going to Antarctica to research the Thwaites Glacier, which is also known as, like, the Doomsday Glacier.
1: Oh, Um, like, if it goes, we're we're fucked?
2: Yeah, like, the sea levels will rise, like, precipitously. It's a big deal, and, like, it's they call it the calving side, the side that um, icebergs shear off of has never really been researched. And so this journalist is going, I'm not that far into it, maybe like 70 pages of this 400 page book. Um, But it's taking a really interesting approach to it in that it's not just being like, oh, here's the science of... What it's like to be an Antarctic traveler and researcher. It's also exploring like community. The the book opens with her mother giving birth to her and how her family really had to lean in on their community. Um, And the book is presented with this cast of characters like it's a play. Um, and the subtitle of the book is Creation and Community at the Ends of the Earth. So it's not just about the science and like what scientifically the Thwaites Glacier means, but also what community means in this context and how we must look to and rely upon one another, mm-hmm. um, specifically as like women cool. going on these expeditions. So I'm really, really liking it. It's from. Um, I believe, Milkweed, who published um, Braiding Sweetgrass. Mm -hmm. They just do such excellent books. So I'm really, really liking that one. Um, And then I'm also reading what is kind of a highly anticipated one from our publisher. It's called Snow Globe uh, by So Young Park. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to hear. It's a translated Korean title that is comped to like the Hunger Games meets Squid Game. And I'm only 40 pages into it. Um, But it's about this world where the entire world is in permafrost, negative 50 degrees Fahrenheit is the average global temperature, and most normal people every other day have to trudge into these power plants and basically be human hamsters to create power (laughs) to run what is called the snow globe, which is the only place in the world that is still a temperate landscape. Um, where if you get to live in the snow globe, that also means you are agreeing to your lives being monitored 24-7 to create entertainment for the rest of the world.
1: Interesting.
2: Um, and so people are fans of different reality TV shows. Um, and our main character, I haven't gotten to this part yet, because again, I'm super early on, but apparently the main person in her favorite TV show dies. This is in jacket copy and she is called in to replace her Whoa. and so once she enters the snow globe things are apparently not as they appear from the outside so um, very hunger games yes so it's a young adult title i love that young adult books are getting translated um as it is well known i love diversity and translation um including like age range of course amanda loves translated picture books so yes
1: i do um
2: i'm really excited to get more into it i think it's going to be fun and fast paced which is exactly what i need to recover from the ministry of time so yeah. that is what i am reading
1: okay you're a partner in crime in events and book clubs my queen your queen <laughs> Sitting next to you is Bailey. Bailey, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. Before we
3: can, can I get more yes. champagne? Okay. <laughs> oh,
1: yes,
0: so you funny. are a queen. Yes, Bailey is drinking my portion. Yeah. Plug,
3: plug. Oh, it's so foamy. Okay. Um, what I'm reading right now is um, a title that Ellen read recently as well but it's called prophet song by paul lynch and every time i see paul lynch on the page i think of david lynch and then i'm like i am <laughs> I know. in a fever dream it's true um and this is a testament to the fact that i don't know a lot of history very well but this whole time i've been like what period in history is this happening in in ireland right i'm like this is historical fiction no it is dystopian fiction so it is you know at some point in the future. According to the internet. So thank you. But so you're following um, this woman and I'm so bad at remembering names when I'm talking about books. You're following this woman whose husband is a teacher and a union organizer. Um, and the basically like her husband gets taken away and like illegally arrested and detained for nothing. And then it's her like trying to pick up the pieces and live in this country that is descending quickly into fascism. Um, And the prose of this and also the storytelling is just, it's so exquisite. So first of all, it does not have any paragraphs, which I didn't realize initially, but now I'm really feeling it. So I feel like this book is pure vibes. You know, you just like get sucked into the stream of it and you're going along with her. And I feel like it's very um, indicative of the sensation that our main narrator is getting where she is just trying to survive the whole time. Like You're just going through it yeah she's she's a scientist she has four kids right she's trying to hold down like having this job and taking care of her kids and pretty much right off the bat like her oldest son so first her husband gets taken away and then her oldest son who is just about to turn 17 gets conscripted basically um and so she's dealing with like the trauma of that and trying to like hold him close to her but he is rejecting that and he's so angry and she wants to keep her family safe but they're living in just unsafe times right you cannot avoid the reality of the country that you're living in but also she just desperately wants she also has like an infant um and so it's just that comparison between trying to hold down this world inside of your home but also that being contested by everything that's happening politically in your country um and it just won the booker um so i mean it's good i usually like the booker and i usually trust that one but i am now attesting to the fact that it's really good i'm like 200 pages in so
0: that's what i'm reading it's it's fabulous i read it too because it won the booker and i had read the beasting which won the booker or was dominant was shortlisted for the booker Mm -hmm. and i loved the beasting and then i was like well i gotta see what this one's about because it'd be a book that i liked. um and when when i finished prophet song i was Okay.
3: <laughs> you agreed with the
0: decision? I do, yeah, yeah, I understand why it won. Okay. Yeah, and I think that the structure of the book as you were saying, like the way that it's formatted is so in line with what the author's trying to do and the feeling is trying to convey. And it's it's a book that will haunt me for a long time. It it, it, there, it that is a we have all read stories about fascism and like mm-hmm. um like dystopian books. This is something different and I think because it is so rooted in the mundane aspects of her life that is what is absolutely chilling about it
3: yeah Um, I mean I was very I thought it was historical fiction for the first 100 pages man it like I told Amanda when
0: I finished that book like I had to it's like if I watch a scary movie then I have to like watch a Disney movie right like I can't go to sleep I could not like, I had a physical reaction to finishing that book, and, and I could not, like, shake it. And so I had to pick up something else that was much lighter. That's why I picked up The Bullet Swallower. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: you should read The Fake Mate.
0: Yeah, I am. Yeah, I've been mate. told I need to read The Fake Mate. <laughs> I promise, Katie. it's an all-staff read. It's an all-staff read. You have to listen to the audiobook because the voice is really sexy. This is what I hear. Um, but yes prophet song and I'm waiting for Bailey to finish prophet song so that we can chat more but yeah it's a fantastic book it's not for it's not a light read though
3: no, and I just want to plug the fake mate now really quick <laughs> yeah, and say that, like, okay, this new book, it is um very foxy. Um, <laughs> It is an Omegaverse, like, werewolf romance, but I Fuck was yeah. listening to this, and it's quite spicy, and I was at work doing my job in the office, la-la, blasting this on my phone, and then I hear, like, the dreaded sound of, like, the keys in the lock of Amanda and Ellen coming in, and I know it would have been fine, but I just really, like, in my brain, the thought of my bosses walking in while it's like graphically detailing the sex these two are having i was like i'm okay we would have been like all right bailey i was
2: listening to it in the basement on my break and it was like the first sex scene in it and i'm like oh thank god nobody came down (laughs) i'm downloading it
1: now i'm downloading it now
0: yeah it's it's a lot it's very fun Speaking of this workplace, we we will not name this bookseller, but this happened yesterday. Bailey was here. <laughs> oh my god. We will not name this person. But this person was describing their love for quote unquote abandoned mall porn. Oh and, my God. And,
1: and
2: <laughs> in the same vein as like
0: food porn. Yeah, right, like right. right. beautiful like things. Pic- like pictures, I love to see
1: pictures pictures of abandoned,
0: of abandoned malls. malls. Okay, cool. We get it. But then put in the Google search. Abandoned mall porn. And then, and then (laughs) clicked on the link that came up. Poor Lorraine will never be the same. Lorraine is
3: our computer.
0: I didn't see the image that popped up, but Bailey, I think you did.
3: I saw a lot of images. This is apparently quite the niche.
0: (laughs) So, So, you know, only a dog dog-eared books books.
3: to the innocence of this coworker who very like. Just readily clicked on that link. She was just like, "This is going to be exactly what I think it is." <laughs> Beautiful pictures. I think of it was malls. like Pornhub, right? <laughs> it was. It was jerk mate. I'll never oh. <laughs> forget. <laughs> she scrolled past the Pornhub link. Oh, okay. She needed it. She got
0: to find what made sense. Oh
3: my god,
0: that's hilarious! All right, she who shall not be named. We love you. We love you. <laughs>
1: Our topic of conversation today, besides (laughs) our usual hijinks, is the new book club in the new year, which technically started last year, thematically around the spooky season, correct? Um, It is called the Book Club with an asterisk right after B-O-O because it is scary.
3: Boo!
0: How do you two pronounce it? Yeah. How
3: do you pronounce your book club? Okay, so we say book club, but the asterisk ask actually leads to a, a, a footnote. Yeah, the subtitle. Which is blood-curdling, otherworldly, and ominous. Okay. So, yeah. Uh,
2: I also, uh, also say also the book. book
1: club. Book club. club. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm impersonating, like, Dracula. Book club. I know there's, like, lots of ways you could
0: do it. You could be like, book <laughs> club.
1: <laughs> All right, we... Have the boot club because you guys wanted to do it, but also because we have readership in horror, something Ellen and I, when we started the store, could have never anticipated. I slightly credit uh, Bailey for really Getting these titles popping up in the store, in fact, uh, which led to it started with a little end cap feature of horror, but those horror books sold so well that we expanded the section to twice the size, and there's always someone browsing that section. So tell us why the hell do you guys read horror? Because I do not go to scary movies. I do. I cannot do it. I do not read horror books. I do not understand the allure. So tell me what you guys are reading this shit for and (laughs) yeah so I like horror
2: for many reasons uh and in this essay I will um
0: (laughs) (laughs) what's your thesis so first things first paragraph
2: my make sure you
3: restate it yeah. yeah, multiple times. Um I have generation.
2: my subject sentence and then my three supporting sentences. Yeah. yeah. Okay, thank you. Um my husband is a Halloween baby. Uh he was born on Halloween and so we lean extra hard into the spooky season because of him. Um but I think I like horror novels for the same reason I like romance novels. And that is because it is a safe place to explore things. So like in a romance novel, you know, it is going to end happily. You are encapsulated in this universe where there are rules and you know, what's going to happen. And like, that's comforting to read. And in like kind of the exact opposite way in a horror novel, you know, things are not going to go (laughs) as planned. You know, this happy couple at the beginning Uh, is not going to come out unphased. You know, the stressed mother at the beginning of a book is not going to leave this book the same person she was before. Are you
3: thinking about Nestlings right now? Because I'm thinking about Nestlings Maybe I'm thinking about Nestlings, uh,
2: which is a fantastic book about motherhood. Um, Written by a man, interestingly enough. Way to go, Nat Cassidy. Yeah, Nat Cassidy, we love you. Um, But I also love horror not because not only because of like the rules of the genre but also because I think you can see a lot about how a society thinks and feels and reacts um quite like horror um so I specifically love zombie books and zombie stories because whatever the progenitor of the zombie is in the story is kind of indicative of what a society is stressed about um so, like, back in the original George Romero times, we were really concerned about, like, overconsumption. And you can see that in this creature that consumes and consumes and consumes. Um, and most recently probably uh, is, like, mushroom zombies. Um, those are this cultural zeitgeisty thing that is is happening. And when I taught um, English 250 at Iowa State, I would always talk mm-hmm. about how, like, in america radiation creates superheroes uh but in japan radiation creates monsters like godzilla mm-hmm. and that's indicative of how like the american mythos likes to paint dropping the atomic bombs as a heroic act um which i think is rightfully criticized uh, more and more but in japan like obviously that's the worst thing that ever happened um and so that creates monsters and i i am not articulating this cleverly or well at all but um i just like how horror is not afraid to explore and expand upon these ideas
3: okay bailey what brings you to horror um one thing that i really love about horror is well let me say as a reader like i am very influenced by whatever I've just read I feel like I'm like my personality is taking on like 10% of whatever book I just read (laughs) and a lot of horror specifically the the kind that I love makes me feel temporarily insane um like I'm thinking about Night Bitch by Rachel Yoder and like I finished that book and I was like I spent three days, like, walking around in a little bit of a fugue, and I'm like, what's real? I'm turning into a dog, right? <laughs> um,
1: You're so impressionable. Yes,
3: I, yes. And I, I appreciate that about horror is that, like, there's this overall, like, unsettling feeling for me in good horror that, like, just pervades the atmosphere of, like, something's not quite right. But on a, on a broader level, I think this is because, like, when we're looking at things and reflecting on things on a societal level, um, I feel like we're so gaslit a lot of the time about, like, this isn't crazy. This is totally normal. Like, in motherhood, and, you know, there's a longer list there, but I had two cups of champagne. Um, <laughs> but in motherhood, which has been a recent zeitgeist of horror, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you're just made to feel like you're going crazy a lot of the times so when you have issues with things that are going on. Like,
1: Well, like, as women anything we get hysterical about we're crazy we're hysterical anything we get ramped up about like it's you're crazy not there's something wrong
3: right yeah and so being able to embody that feeling but then kind of you come out the other side and you get the payoff in a lot of horror where it's like oh no no. it was wrong you were wrong like this was messed up the whole time um and this is a book that should like is arguably placed in horror versus in fiction um it's that dystopian line but the school for good mothers did the same thing for me that um night bitch did where you're just like am i losing my goddamn mind right now like is this not <laughs> the worst thing that's ever happening and you know what this is shelved in fiction and it should be in fiction but prophet song is kind of the same way yeah where you're yeah. just like a lot of these books are doing the same thing for me where you are questioning what reality is and you're asking like who is determining the status quo here like who is determining what is normalcy and now that I say it I think that like prodding at what normalcy is and like what we accept as our day-to-day in horror is what draws me to it so much um like am I seeing things for
0: what they are yeah am I am I just like going through life and like am I in denial about the things that are happening around me
3: yeah and very um I say this a little bit jokingly, but it's it's kind of red-pilled, you know? You're like, the veil has been lifted from my yeah. eyes, right? <laughs> I see reality for what it is, and actually it's a zombie, you know? Like... God damn it! <laughs> um, I knew something was off! Yeah, so that's what I, I like about horror. It, it lets us really dig into those things.
1: So as you we were saying since establishing the horror section in the store and the curation that you guys have been able to provide in that section like there's been enthusiastic readers so there was definitely like a base level of interest for readership in horror in our store thus the book club and uh tell us about like what you're trying to do in the book club um the book club what are your goals for it and what do you think the readers who participate are looking for?
3: Well, one thing that I want to like say about book club off of the bat is that we are very intentionally curating like our selections to be either um like novellas or short story collections for two reasons. One is that it's accessible and I think that like a lot of people feel a little bit intimidated by horror just cuz they're like I don't want to be disturbed or like freaked sure. out or whatever. Right. Um, But also the accessibility of like, not everybody has time to read a 600 page book. Um, and it's awesome if you do, but we want you to just come and talk kind of about these concepts that we're talking about when we're looking at the book too. Um, And the second reason that we're sticking to those shorter forms is that I think I personally think that horror is done best in the short form. So we have a lot of overlap with the short story and cap, Um. But, yeah, I think a lot of times, like, you set this stage in the world, and then you dive into it, and, like, you get to the meat of the story, and you don't need, like, a ton of extraneous detail, right? You just need to, like, live with that character and feel what they're feeling in their circumstances. Um, I don't know what Mariah thinks about the benefits. Or, who's reading?
2: Uh, Yeah, I forget what the original question is, so what I'm just gonna think? riff.
1: Yeah, you riff, but what do you think, like... <laughs> participants in boot club are what what's drawing them to horror and what what experience are you hoping to provide them in boot club
2: um now this could just be me pressing my own
1: interpretation on other people but that's what you get to do when you're the boot club leader um damn straight uh (laughs)
2: Hour, is like tripper. i i think that there is power to be found in confronting shitty things openly and like not dancing around them which is also why i like short stories and horror novellas is because they they do the shitty thing really quickly and like you get to experience it quickly and you know this is kind of how you and i bonded is over like our personal traumas um and I am a person that will tell just about anyone uh all the traumatic shit that has ever happened in my life because
1: because I think that there's power to be found in claiming that and being like Ross Gay would tell you that that's what his story is about by sharing our traumas and our hurts it actually brings more joy because of the connection
2: right because of the connection and like It's kind of like a social contract that, hey, this shitty thing happened to me and it is shitty. And like having that affirmation from like an outside source is like really empowering Mm -hmm. and so i think if you're reading the story and being like wow this thing that happened to this character was real shitty Mm -hmm. and then being like yeah yeah it was or like oh man this reminded me of this thing that happened when i was in second grade and it just stuck with me since i was a child and Mm -hmm. like seeing it written out like this made me realize oh i was right to feel weird or icky or whatever about Mm -hmm. that or this random anxiety that i've had is true and real um and also it's just fun to talk about scary shit like who doesn't love to talk about zombies who doesn't love to talk about vampires and i I don't don't. i don't want to hear (laughs) about that amanda (laughs) um
0: and so
3: amanda's an outlier yeah amanda is a weirdo amanda
0: i have heard you talk about edward Cullen, so i'm gonna say i mean that's not horror
3: i mean let's reframe
0: is it child
1: bride
2: horror (laughs) yeah i love It It i'm
0: just saying i've heard you talk enthusiastically about vampires
1: i (laughs) talk enthusiastically about a man whose sole purpose in life is just to adore and love and serve (laughs) one person 24 hours a day without sleeping So that doesn't sound like horror to me. (laughs) Um, sounds like a fairy tale.
2: But even like the first short story collection we did for this club, or rather the second, not the first, um, was Never Whistle at Night, which is edited by um, Shane Hawk. I want to read that. And Stephen Graham Jones. And Stephen Graham Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, And it is a collection, they call it, of dark fiction stories all by indigenous people and um it has continued to sell really well it has stayed on our bestseller table it is like the joy of my life that that is true but that one is not so much scary as it is it makes you rethink things which i think makes it really good for horror lovers and scaredy cats alike because it's not like gory it's not a ton of body horror it's like these little it's a little it's a little body a little horror, body horror <laughs> but it's these little snippets of like oh my god that makes you think more deeply about things
1: so you've referenced a few of your intentions um in curation uh, a few of the books that you've picked but um in the year ahead um you're just about to meet with your january group Um, And you have books planned out through June. Tell us about some of your picks, why you picked them, what you're looking for in a good, and Bailey has touched on this, but what you're looking for in a good horror experience for the people who participate in your book club.
2: I'm going to take the mic for, for January because I almost mentioned this earlier. So for January, we are reading Cursed Bunny, which is by Bora Chung, translated by Anton Hur, Who has a new book coming out. He does have a new book coming out. Anton Hur is my favorite translator, and he is coming out with his first book. Like, original novel um Toward Eternity I believe it's called but um, also Bora Chung has a new book coming yes out. Bora Chung also again translated by Anton Hur called Your Utopia which cool. I have mentioned on this podcast already great Whenever I was last on it and is also exceptional. But I almost brought this up earlier because this is a case where the International Booker Committee doesn't know what the hell they're talking about (laughs) because Curse Bunny was shortlisted for the International Booker, I believe, in 2022 or 23. No, twenty-two, and it lost. And you know what? Now I can say, having read over half of that shortlist, the book that did win, "Tomb of Sand," the language is exceptional. The translation is very, very good. "Curse Bunny" sh- still should have won. Okay, and
0: in your humble opinion? No, my opinion Nothing is humble not humble.
2: Over
3: here.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there is no humility in in my brain right now. "Curse Bunny" should have won. Um, so that's what we're reading tonight. Um. And we're recording this, obviously, on, on Friday. So Stop. by the time I'm you are hearing ass, this, Rachel. by the time you are hearing this, it I is too late. Too. Um, but you still should read Curse Bunny anyway. Okay. Um, but some of the other ones uh, that we're reading, we're really excited about. Um, so for February, we're re- reading The Ballad of Black Tom by Victor Laval, And I'm going to let Bailey talk about that one.
3: Okay, so I just want to say that, like, also one of the things that Mariah and I have really focused on is, like, diversity in the choices that we make. Um, so we kind of have something in mind for each month that we choose, but we just want to get a really broad array of horror because horror is so good at, like, highlighting the things that are wrong in our society and so obviously we should hear from a broad variety of voices um so the Ballad of black tom is a book by victor lavelle and i actually don't know a lot about this book right i'm going into it blind but i read his book lone women a long time ago i read it when it was an arc and i just kind of went into it and i was like i don't know what's going on sure whatever um but this book is about this woman who is um Participating basically in the Homesteading act in Idaho, and she is trying to it's in the eighteen hundreds um and she's trying to like build a home for herself after running away from a sordid past. But what it really talks about is like community and the mm-hmm. ways that marginalized people like band together for survival um while incorporating this very fun horror um element of this steamer trunk that she carries with her and when it is left unlocked or opened people go missing and bad things happen right what could it be um but that was just so phenomenal so i'm really excited to read um our february pick here Um, i
2: also read his book the changeling which is an older title um and is like loosely based around Um, some fairy tale, I can't remember at the moment, but like this idea of fairies stealing children and replacing them with a thing that is not a human baby. Um, And so in this book, uh, a husband and wife are happily married. They have the child that is the joy and light of their life when one day the mother does something unspeakable um, and the father ends up in prison. And when he gets out of prison, he realizes that maybe what he thought happened was not actually what happened uh and maybe there is still something left for him to save of his family um and yeah and he just does uh, his writing and his stories with such like nuance and emotion and uh, yeah i love victor laval i know nothing about ballad of black tom either uh except for that i'm super duper excited to
3: read it and then um I'm amped about that. I'm gonna go ahead and take March as well and then I'm gonna pass it back off to you. But we have Bad Cree by Jessica Johns. And again, I think we just picked a lot of these around like what people are saying about them and popularity um and that like idea of like diversity in our choices. Um but I'm super excited for this because um I think that like indigenous horror has been having a huge moment in the last couple of years. Like I love Stephen Graham Jones. Um, Mongrels is my favorite book by him. Just plugging this right now. I make sure we carry it in the store. It's werewolf coming of age. Anyways, bad Cree though um, and indigenous horror. Like we had Never Whistle at Night, which has been hugely successful in the store. And then um, there's the book White Horse for me, which was kind of a a ghost story. Um, I can't remember the name of the author right now which I am so sorry to the author. I love you. I thought your book was great. Um,
2: hmm? name Worth, I believe.
3: Yes. Rebecca Worth, I want to say, but I think that might be wrong. But yeah, so Bad Korea is probably the longest book on our list, too. Like, it's a full novel, but it's a short novel. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And then our
2: um, April pick. We're going through these one by one just because we are so genuinely excited about all of them. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Do it. So the April's book is The Beast You Are by Paul Tremblay. He is our one um, straight white man. Um, token. Token, yeah. And we are including him because I love him very much. Uh, his book, um, Head Full of Ghosts, is probably like up there for my favorite horror of all time. Um, Paul Tremblay is just like the master of there is something right behind you, and you know
0: it with every fiber of your being Ew. that there is something
2: right behind you. And you know that if you turn and look, nothing will be there. So,
0: um, like your brother's hiding around the corner, and you fucking know he's there and he's going to jump out at you, but it's still scary.
2: Luckily, my brothers were not that clever. um <laughs> My brothers are assholes. Um, But The Beast You Are is a collection of short stories. I believe his second, his first one is called Growing Things, I think. Um, and I've read most of The Beast You Are and it is just so good and so eerie and atmospheric and I was reading most of it in a sunny park in the middle of the uh, of the summer with my husband and small children playing on slides nearby and I was still like so viscerally affected by this like one of the stories that creeped me out the most is about this old man that wherever he goes in town he just draws a chalk line behind him and so a kid thinks it'll be really cute and funny to erase part of the chalk line and like what happens when the kid does that um i love paul tremblay i cannot say that enough and so the bcr is going to be a really fun um, exploration of the short story form am
3: i also on for may yes i am gonna take june because i have a deep love for june yeah uh
2: and i am june's book virgin
3: Um, as I am to curse bunny, your favorite. So,
2: um, but we are not on June, we are on May. Um, and so one of the things that we wanted to think about in terms of diversity was not just racial diversity or sexual diversity, but also diversity of religion, Um, and so we were looking for like Muslim horror stories, Jewish horror stories, um, because I saw an article when I was scrolling through looking for books for this that talked about how so much of horror is seen through a Christian lens, Um, So like, think of the devil, like Mm -hmm. how much of horror is rooted in this idea that there is a cosmic good and evil, there is God and there is the devil. And that um, framework of being almost entirely Christian kind of boxes us in uh, into certain types of stories. And Um, I'm really interested to see what kind of stories we will be able to see and interact with um, when we expand beyond that. So I actually found last summer this grad student who is doing um, the Jewish Horror Project. And um, I emailed her and I'm like, hey, my friend and I are doing this book club. We really want to do a collection of short stories or a novella of Jewish horror um but all i can find are novels so the novel nestlings that bailey and i were talking about earlier is like a jewish vampire story because so many vampire stories are rooted in anti-semitism um and she's like hey there's actually like not that much but i did work on this collection with somebody else um and it's called like the jewish horror collection yeah the jewish book of horror um Uh, And I know nothing else about it beyond that it is a collection of Jewish horror stories by Jewish people. Um, And yeah, I think it's going to be really fun.
3: I think it's also quite interesting to do anthologies as opposed to like singular short story collections. They both have their merits, but you just get to see so many voices in one Mm -hmm. little sitting. Um, And then the last book uh, for June that we have is one of my personal favorites, um, Her Body and Other Parties by Carmen Maria Machado. I am a Carmen Maria Machado stan. Um, (laughs) I'm just obsessed with her. And I think this will be like the third time I've book clubbed this book in various settings. So.
1: I'm so thrilled to have discovered that The Woman with the Green Ribbon is part of this book. Like, I guess as you guys were talking, I was recalling as youth being fascinated by certain horror stories. So the woman with the ribbon around her neck, whatever color it was, black or red or white or green, in this case, green, um, wore this ribbon all her life. And her husband never understood why. And finally in her old age, he removes it and her head falls off. It's very anticlimactic, but it's also really creepy. Like he lived with this kind of monster all his life that he didn't know about. And also like body autonomy, like just let me have my freaking ribbon, you know? Um, but I was obsessed with a collection of, called The Ghost Stories of the Amanda Colonies that I picked up when my mom took us to the Amanda Colonies. And me and my sisters would like furtively read these stories and kind of freak ourselves out and probably not be able to sleep at night. And our mom <laughs> probably really hated us for reading it, but we both remember it. Like somewhere in my family's book collection, we still have it. I've looked at carrying it in the store. I don't know if other people would be as thrilled about it, but it was like actual ghost stories from the Amanda Colonies um, that had like a similar vibe. So anyway.
0: I think it's really cool that you're reading the book again. And, you know, I think it's cool the way that you have gone about curating this book club and thinking through the the experience that you want people to have and the different voices that you want present. Uh, So we applaud you and we're excited for your book club.
2: I also didn't want to commit to reading another full novel because... I already give so much of my reading life to the store. You do. Oh, you yeah. do.
0: And I think it's smart in terms of just in our broader selection of book clubs to have options that are a little bit more digestible in terms of like, you know, short story novella offerings. You know? Um, I do think it's funny. Sometimes people will come in, they'll be like, you should have this kind of book club or this book club. And I'm like, we have so many. we please. got like 10 book clubs. If you can't find <laughs> something you like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um but yeah i i do think there's something for everyone you know so maybe like you could book club hop a little bit
1: yep and that's in large part thanks to you guys for providing so many great options thanks mariah bravo uh thank you Barry. in addition queens both of you
3: (laughs) a table of queens a table of queens
1: In addition to this fabulous book club that we've just talked about, we have other things popping in the store. Specifically, we are going to talk about the two hottest poppin' books on our shelves this Tuesday. Every Tuesday is new release day. There are two very hot books. Hot and
0: poppin'.
1: Hot and poppin'. Like Pop-Tarts.
0: Hot and poppin'.
1: <laughs> the first
0: poppin' on the and art, hot, if you will.
1: Which is making me think of like hot pockets
0: and (laughs) um, also never was a fan, but I do like Pop Tarts, brown sugar cinnamon, baby. Yeah, Mm -mm. with a big glass of milk. So I would say
1: (laughs) House of Flame and Shadow by Sarah J. Moss. You're fired, Bailey. Get out of here. uh, Brown sugar cinnamon Pop Tart, popping hot Mm. out of the toaster.
0: There is no other kind of Pop Tart but the brown sugar cinnamon.
1: Really waiting at that toaster for it to pop out. They really waiting. Yeah. Now Mm. there's some. Premature poppers happening. Oh. <laughs> Walmarts and Targets accidentally distributing this book with a strict laydown. down. Yeah, can't fuck get to you, it Walmart, with your premature popping. We sell so much of Sarah J. Moss. Are you saying Mass or Moss? I say Moss. I say Moss too with a double A. I mean, I had
0: neighbors with that last name and they pronounced it Moss.
1: So... Everyone's obsessed with her right now. They're reading everything that she has written. Maybe it's just in anticipation of this expansion of the Crescent City series. They're just trying to get their hands on the backlist. But this is third in a series. We have 26 people who have already special ordered this with us and 54 copies headed our way. We can see that they have shipped. We are tracking those shipments because people are breathing down our necks for this book. Tell us about this series because you have probably gotten the most questions about this book, Mariah, um, and can speak more authoritatively about it. What do you have to say about the Crescent City series?
2: So my like one bookish hipstery claim to fame is that I was reading both Throne of Glass and A Court of Thorns and Roses before they were series. Um, <laughs> So I have the original covers. You should put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. I was OG. But Sarah J. Moss is widely beloved. Her books are book candy. Um, They have helped so many people get back into reading again. I know my uh, best friend, she had not read a book since we graduated high school over 10 years ago. And then she... Tore through the entire A Court of Thorns and Roses series, which is five significantly sized books. She read them in a month after not reading a book for 10 years. And I
0: will say, like, anecdotally, and I, this is true, like, anytime I'm book selling in the store, every single ship, someone comes in and buys a book from that series, yep. at least one person. And it's because they are about to finish the previous one and they, like, cannot wait yep. to start the next one. Every single day I think we probably sell at least a, one book from that series yeah um, I
3: mean I was gonna say Sarah J Moss is famous infamous for the last 100 pages yep. of every book being so intense
2: <laughs> okay um and so now my best friend reads 60 books a year you know, so the she the has power, the power to make
3: people readers exactly
2: um, and so Crescent City is her latest series. It is set in like a modern day sort of world versus her other two series, which are vaguely like knights and dragons and you know more classically fantasy thought of times um I will say it it. I would behoove you to read all of both of her previous series before you launch into certainly Crescent City 3. I will not say a single word as to why. Um, but yeah, this <laughs> book is going to be really fun. I'm really excited about it. Last Valentine's Day, I literally threw Crescent City 2 across the room when I finished it, um, startling my husband.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well. Wow. I think you must be excited to and get to this then.
0: Mariah did help pick out some merch.
1: Right, we'll have some special stickers for the release day. The other thing that's special for independent independent bookstores like ours is we have a special edition that includes a bonus scene between the main characters Bryce and Danica. Um apparently about the night that Bryce gets her tattoo, which mm-hmm. is very appropriate for our bookstore because I feel like every time I come in, one of you guys has a new tattoo, <laughs> uh, whether it's the flash tattoo next door at the tattoo shop or someone who's gone off and gotten some art done. Um, so that will, that will be your indie exclusive if you buy it at dog books. So super hot pop title. The other one that we don't want you to miss is Come and Get It by Kylie Reed.
0: Come and get it. Come and get Reed. I and love and this book it. so much.
3: Uh,
1: uh, 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 uh. Kylie Reed got on our radar with Such a Fun Age, which was about a babysitter experiencing like racist scenarios. Um in just the day-to-day of her babysitting job Mm. it was kind of ridiculous um and a very well-loved book great commentary the new book uh by kylie reed is about a senior resident assistant like your ra on the floor in your dorm room named millie cousins who's at the university of arkansas and i just love the character she's created in Millie in that she's kind of a homebody. She keeps herself. She has like her goals, but uh, that she's really focused on. She wants to own a house someday. She wants to get through her college degree program. Um, she just has these personal intimate goals for her life. And as an RA, ends up getting wrapped into the dramas of the kids on her floor, um, some of her fellow RA's behavior, um, a professor who is interested in kind of studying, learning, writing about some of the kids on her floor. Um, Those subtle moments of racism um, and misunderstanding are sprinkled throughout this book. I think she handles it so deftly like... So that you can see these microaggressions in your own life around you, the way she represents them so accurately and purely. Um, Kylie really does a great job of painting what it, a picture looks like to be a 17-year-old black girl in Arkansas on an RA floor with a bunch of privileged white girls.
2: Um
1: well,
0: I think she's, like, 20-something. Yeah,
2: Millie, Millie like is older. Oh,
1: yeah, sorry. Yes, um, Millie's older. She's But she's, older. like, yeah.
0: she's very, like, type A. She's very duty-bound. She cares very much about the quality of work that she does. And I all of those things are present in the book, right? Like, the microaggressions um, sort of becoming entangled in... The, the various dramas and then also with this professor. But I also thought the interesting thing that was happening in this book is you have this character who's very much like perfectionist type a who comes to this point where she's kind of like, fuck, fuck, it. fuck it. Yeah. You know? And like, what does it take for a person who's like that to just be like, fuck it. And what are the consequences of being like, fuck it. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah. It's about a bunch of people all behaving in morally, <laughs> Inadvisable, though not technically illegal ways. Right. Um, and if I may talk a, a, yes, b- a bit may. about the genesis of the book. So I got to see Kylie talk about this at Heartland Fall Forum this past fall. And um, I think knowing how the book was created makes reading it even better Um, Because Kylie talked about how uh, she suffered from a traumatic brain injury that made it so that she couldn't stare at a screen for long periods of time, which meant that she couldn't like type the book to write the book. And so she wrote the entirety of this novel on index cards and then read the index cards to her assistant who then typed it all up and then would read it back to her to edit it. And I think you can so tell that in the dialogue. Um,
1: Yeah, I remember you telling me that, and that does make sense. Yeah. You feel very present in the moment every time.
2: Yeah, and also a lot of the most ridiculous things that some of the college kids say are actual things that Kylie heard actual college students say when she was
1: interviewing college kids, Um, I feel like this book is a little meta in that Kylie is the professor who is studying the students, but she is also Millie.
2: But it's also not having inappropriate relationships.
1: No, we're not saying that, Um, Kylie.
2: It's just such a fantastic book. Um, I devoured it in an afternoon um i think the cover is really fun too i'm just so excited to get this into people's hands because it's one that's like kind of really hard to describe but when you read it it just is such a delightful journey it's just
0: a lot of like nuanced ethical questions and you know like the whole time i kind of like i wanted millie to kind of be like fuck it a little bit because she held herself to such a high standard and she was like never having any fun right but then like you know. She, she does say fuck it to an extent where it's like, you know, maybe we'll come back to bite her or puts her in positions that she she might regret. And it's like, it, it poses a lot of questions about like, um, being good.
2: Yeah. You know? Um, like something else that Kylie kind of framed the book with was this idea of gossip and like how we're often told that gossip is a bad thing, but actually a lot of psychologists think that gossip is a good thing because it's a pro-social behavior. It is us negotiating what is right and what is wrong. Interesting. um, By how we react to gossip. Like, oh, this person cut me in line at the coffee shop. And if your friends are like, oh yeah, that's shitty. That's like reinforcing like, yes, you are right to think that behavior is wrong. Hmm. And so what is the power of gossip and how can that create and destroy community? Um, So when you pick this up, and I do mean when, (laughs) vaguely threatening, um, I want you to think about that when when you're reading it. I'm sure this will be a book
0: club book. I think it would make a fantastic book club book. It would be an excellent book club There's a lot to talk about in it.
1: All right, on that note, Keep the champagne flowing and the books going. Word. Word.
0: Remember, uh, subscribe,
1: like, follow, because you want to find out what's happening in Dog Eared Books every single week.
0: Yep. And if you don't live in Ames, you can always follow us on social or hit our website to order books.
1: Follow us at at Dog-Eared Books Ames or at Dog
0: Books on TikTok.
1: All right, listeners, keep the champagne flowing and the
0: books going. This is so great! It's so great! (laughs)